NFL. Now here's your hosts, Root and Why. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Woot NY Show. I am Josh Y. I am riding solo today. Uh, Woot is currently at work. I have a mid, I have a day off during the week, so I thought I'd uh, catch up with a friend of the show and someone that I uh, I really enjoy talking with and value uh, his opinion on the draft. He's a really great Twitter follower, uh, so you can follow him on Twitter at Alexander One Great. And he is Shane Alexander from Inside the Pylon. Uh, he's one of the main drivers behind uh, their college football. Uh, content and uh he does excellent work and the itp draft guide is out now so please purchase that it's really really good it's taken me a lot of time to to get through it all it's it's so much so many pages it's awesome and welcome to the show shane how are you going man it's uh it's good to be on it's uh i think this is my first time on the show but we've been following each other for a long time now so i'm glad that i'm officially a friend of the of the podcast yeah it's good to uh good to finally get you on uh on the show yeah i've i've been following you i think since mark and chuck had me on the quick kicks podcast many many moons ago and i've actually got chuck coming on next week to talk about special teams and punters and uh and we'll talk about some of the Australian, most of the Australian players upon us. So uh, yeah, it's good to good to finally get you on the show. Uh, what's what's been happening in terms of you know post inside the pylon draft guide life for you? I know you you're working you know very hard and long hours on that. Yeah, yeah. So after we've collaborated and, and got the the draft guide out, um, now it's on to my individual rankings. Um, so all this week I've been putting out my positional boards with a blurb on each position um rolling through two uh positions a day today was the offensive tackle and interior offensive line position tomorrow will be edge and defensive line so just getting all of my grades and all of my workout this week so the the final two weeks up until the draft i can just do individual pieces of of things that are interesting to me and uh, and sort of enjoy the fruits of our labor so a lot of long nights the last two weeks uh, but it's it's super rewarding. It's fun to see all of your work come together and, and get to have conversation about it with, with people like yourself. And even a mention in uh, the MMQB from uh, Peter King, which uh, must have been uh, really exciting for you and the team. It was. like I was told the night before that it may happen, and and just to, just to know that in 2000, January 2016, I joined Inside the Pylon sort of when it was about to take off, and, uh, and now to see us you know, sort of getting to enjoy a little bit of the of the fruits of our labor. Um, that's exciting. And yep. and we appreciate Peter and, and, and everybody really that supports us. To have anybody interact with you positively is humbling. It doesn't matter how many Twitter followers they have, but to see Peter King do it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned writing more pieces uh, in, in the next week or so. Uh, any more of the state of the state of play articles? I enjoyed your last one when there was sort of a month before the draft. I thought it was a really, really good piece. I was wondering if you're doing any more of those. I am, and the they were originally going to be a weekly piece, and then just the individual work that I've done on my own uh, draft work has kind of consumed me. So the next state of play piece will be out uh, next week, and it's actually going to be on the topic of the next Dak Prescott and how there isn't one, and we shouldn't look for it oh, uh, because yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just you. a thing. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, everybody's trying to create a Dak Prescott in this class, but if if we knew for a fact there was another Dak Prescott, he wouldn't go in the fourth round. So just logically, there can't be another deck. No, it just doesn't so, exist anymore. It's it's right. And so, yeah, I'm going to touch on you know sort of the quarterback narrative next uh, next week uh, around the, the you know the Dak Prescott thing. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I have one coming out about the Cleveland Browns and just how they're 
going about their uh, organizational structure and how they're approaching or seem to be approaching this draft. And so those are two think pieces, I guess you could say, coming out with State of Play. So those will be out within the next couple of weeks, probably the next week. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, in today's show, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk some polarizing players. Uh, you gave me a little sneak peek at your uh, top fifty. I'm not gonna reveal all the spoilers. Actually, top sixty, so a little bonus ten. Uh, and uh, we're gonna talk some polarizing players. But before we do that, I just want to ask you about your approach to scouting and and the process involved in in making a big board and a, and a top fifty and a top hundred. Uh, how how do you do it, and how much weight do you give to athletic testing and things like that? Yeah, this is probably my favorite question. Uh, it could it could seem sort of generic, but I think you could go down a lot of rabbit holes with it. Um, so I'll try not to be too long with yep. it. But you know, when I started in 2014, that that was my first draft. Um, I just sort of decided I wanted to do this. So my first year, it was very instinct and emotion and tape driven, which can be good in context. But there was for a lot of hits that I had, there was also very big misses. Um, and the more time I spent on, on Twitter and just reading and learning about the game, um, I think the more emotionless my process has become, which is what I strive to, to do, is take as much emotion out of it as possible. And I'm to the point now where uh, scouting starts during the season and, and really in the offseason the summer getting ready for the college football season. But, but I, I think it's important to start in season because if I were yep. to start in January and try to learn everybody – you know, because I don't do this full time yet, so I can't devote uh, the whole day uh, to football yet, and so I would never get caught up. Uh, so I think scouting in season is important, and you, you you draw as much conclusion from the tape as possible in season. Um, after the season, when you know who's going to be in the draft, you really start looking at individual tape. Um, Shrine game and Senior Bowl is huge. If you can get to one of those, I mean, I live in Mobile, Alabama, which is where the Senior Bowl is at. So Easy I live like ten minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes from the stadium. So I was there all week. That's important, I think, to be down there and seeing those players. Um, I put a lot of, t- of weight on the combine and any advanced uh, uh, analytics I can get my hands on, even if it's not my own. Um, and I, I have a lot of people that I trust, and they're doing good work. And so I'm always yep. trying to learn more. Um, Ethan Young uh, at NFL Drafter on Twitter is a really good personal friend of mine. He has an, a couple of amazing analytical oh. systems that his, quarter, his quarterback piece yeah. a couple of weeks ago was phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. His quarterback piece was uh, outstanding, and, and I want you to go read it. It's called Semtex, S-E-M-T-E-X. Uh, so if you're listening, please go read it. But essentially, he's looking to figure out a way to eliminate quarterbacks um, entering the NFL draft. That way you don't waste too much time on them. That way you don't scout them if you don't need to scout them. That way you don't draft them in the first round if you shouldn't draft them in the first round. It's hard to predict who will be good, but I've really tried to find ways to eliminate who won't be good. Uh, by looking at trends and data as much as I possibly can. Tape always has to be the main thing, uh, but I do think tape can lie because tape can make you, I think, I think emotional. You watch somebody, you get really excited. Maybe you're seeing less than or more than what you really want to see. Um, and so it, it's always the tape, but, but analytics are ever more important, and I think that they shouldn't be shot away from if possible. And, and I think that this year – uh, with my grading and, and with my big board coming out next Monday, I think you'll see that I marry the two as well as I possibly know how to right now. And so that's a long answer to a short question, but hopefully it was a No, a no, I, I appreciate it. I think it's a, an entire topic, and I know Josh Josh Norris did a whole series of podcasts on it uh, last year called Process the Process where he looked at every little different 
type of thing. Like he had Justice Piscato on to talk about Edge, uh, you know, Force players and and Spark and and all sorts of stuff. And I think it's all pieces of a, of a puzzle uh, to try and you know find the right combination to to get that final eval. And I, I agree with you. I think uh, the combine is important. Uh, I'm trying to find a tweet from. Zach Whitman that said that, you know, look, some great athletes are bad football players, but I think, you know, a lot of bad athletes aren't good football players more so. I think that was kind of the the idea behind the tweet. I was was trying to find the exact wording of it. I couldn't find it, which kind of agrees with what you said earlier. Uh, All right, let's talk about this draft class overall, uh, where its strengths and weaknesses are, and and how would you describe the the class overall? I think it's one of... The I would say it's probably better than than fifteen. Um, cool. And it might be better than sixteen. Um, it, it's a deep class, but it's a weirdly assembled class. We were talking about it off air. Like I think there's you know eight to ten. I guess you could call them elite players in this class. And then truly anywhere between like eleven and sixty, it is extremely subjective. I think these players are very much similar in their groupings within within the position. Um, I think on my, you know, the big board I sent you in the mid fifties, I have five cornerbacks um, all in a row, and you can look at that and say, "Well, he's just throwing names up there." You know, that's a that's an easy way out. But it was literally, I, I know they're not all the same scheme player, but I think in terms of value in a vacuum, that they're they're almost inseparable. So I just included them all together in that little cluster. Yeah, and I think um, it comes down to team need and and scheme, which would change their rankings and, and exactly. Yep. Yeah, so like, there's some guys in the draft where it doesn't matter what you run on offense or defense. Just get that guy on your team. But for most of your roster, I think it is scheme-dependent. And in this draft, there's going to be a lot of, of mock drafts, especially towards the end, that are wrong. And not because they were bad. It's just because teams are going to have a certain preference. And they're going to draft a guy at their preference, either higher or lower than maybe they would go in a true vacuum. But um, I like this class a lot. I think it's deep at a lot of positions. I love how deep it is at wide receiver on day two. I love how deep it is at defensive back on day two. I like the edge class on day two. I thought I was going to like them on day one uh, until the combine, but mm-hmm. I think they're more day two players. Um, but there's a lot to like. It's, it's it's a deep class, but it's not a top heavy class. No, exactly. I I think you know what we said off air is that you know after that top ten and what you just said before, it does get extremely murky and you. You read a mock draft one day, and you know someone like Taco Charlton's uh, going at pick eleven, and then you read a, a, another mock draft, he's he's going in at forty five. It it's it, that's just one of the examples, and I think I, I tweeted about that a, a few weeks ago when there was a series of mock drafts coming out, and some of the big discrepancies in players are just an indication of a you know scouts individual preference, and b that this class is just uh, extremely murky outside that that top ten. Yeah, and. That's that's another thing I was talking with, with another buddy who's just a casual friend. He he's a Bengals fan. He's wondering what they're going to do at nine, and he's talking about how every big board or, or mock draft he looks at, there's a different guy mock there, and we don't even know if the Bengals will go at nine. I think this is very much a class to where you don't have to just force a need because there's so many players at so many positions that are close uh, in, in that cluster. And so I think there is a little bit of a luxury in the first two rounds to where, of course, you always draft for need a little bit. But you know that the cornerback in the first round in the middle of the first round is probably going to be similar to the cornerback in the in the middle of the second round. And so, if you want to go elsewhere, you can go elsewhere. So, I don't. I think it's going to be the most unpredictable draft that I've been a part of in my four drafts. But that that's going to be exciting. Um, 
And and one thing I've enjoyed this year more than other years is kind of reading my peers' work because it is a it is very much a preference thing. And so uh, you know somebody may have a, a different linebacker up higher than I do, but I totally get it because it's it's all about preference in this class. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like there's going to be runs on players, like you mentioned I do too. going for the, the corner. I feel like the second round is going to be really fascinating. Uh, I, I did a mock draft with a couple of uh, friends, and, and uh, we do one you know, on this podcast. We do a two-rounder, uh, Woot and I, and, and Laurie Horish of uh, Fox Sports here, and, and friend of the show, Scott, we do a we each get sort of ten teams each and just go for it. Uh, we we yeah. the three of us did one the other day, and I felt like the cornerback run sort of started from a, about thirty four, thirty five onwards, and that I think like eight or nine ended up going, and defensive backs went in in the second round. So it feels like yeah. that seems to be the bread basket or the sweet spot for this deep you know corner class. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that earlier. Um, I was just looking at my big board when I sent it over to you and just talking, to, you know, thinking about things that we may talk about. And I was like, you know, it seems crazy to have 10 second round grades on defensive backs, but you know, they're probably not all going to go in the second round, but you, you grade in a vacuum. And so I, I think it really could be a, a draft of runs. We saw that last year, uh, you know, the wide receiver running the first round where the guy, they just kind of went. When one team takes one, you know, several teams near them go ahead and get their guy too. You know, you could very much see that. I think, um, I think it's going to be that way with offensive tackle, just because of how weak this class is. In round two, there's three really good ones. There's two pretty solid ones, and after that, it is it is a, a wasteland. And so, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe Rob, Cam Robinson, Ryan Ramschek, and and Garrett Bowles in a vacuum aren't worth as high as they may go in the first round. But teams are going to make sure they lock their guy down because you you're not going to get a guy in round three that you think. Okay, this guy can get to camp and may prove us something this year. Um, it gets barren quick at the tackle position, so I think it will be one of the first positions that has a run on it. Yep, and that's why Matt Khalil got forty million guaranteed or whatever. The exactly, hell he got. there is an epidemic with offensive tackles, and that's why average tackles are getting paid crazy money because yep. there's just not there's just not sixty four true left and right tackles that that hold up to the standard. Um, and that's why teams pay them. They're like the edge players, tackles, and quarterbacks are going to get paid. You just know they are. Someone needs to make an offensive tackle farm. I think there's value there that you can make some money out of just farming really good offensive tackles. Just uh, start uh, building the lab and <laughs> uh, and constructing them and, and see how you go because these edge players are getting stronger and faster, and it's uh, it's very, uh, very tough to stop. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on to, uh, you know, these polarizing players. So I'm looking at your your top 60 right now, and I don't want to give too much away, yep. but uh, this is coming out tomorrow, I think. You said defensive line and edge are coming out tomorrow? Defensive line and edge coming out tomorrow. Yep. Linebackers, defensive backs on Friday, and then the big board will actually be out on Monday by itself. So, yep. yeah, but spoil away, man. Talk yep. about what you want to talk about. All right, about. Well, uh, well, this won't be too much of a spoiler because by the time you listen to this, you've probably already read these pieces, but uh, I found it interesting that you have uh, Malik McDowell and uh, Chris Warmly ahead of... Uh, Jonathan Allen, in terms of your D line rankings, yep. what did you what did you see from those two that warranted putting him ahead of Allen? And is it the shoulder concern with Allen that's made him drop? Because I feel like that's being overlooked um, a lot by uh, other analysts. Yeah, um, you know, John Allen is a guy who I watched literally every snap of his career. Um, I, I thought he was the best player in college football last year in terms of how he affected the game on both sides of the ball. And I really expected him to test differently and solidify himself as a top player in this class. He gets to Indianapolis, and I, 
you know, I knew there were injury concerns in the past. I had no idea that it was potentially, you know, arthritic. Um, and it turns out he does have some arthritic uh, shoulder issue. Yep. And you don't know how much that's going to affect him going forward. I honestly didn't consider that in my grading as much as I did the testing and the physical, um, the physical measurements because he, he kind of graded. I thought he was going to be an inch or two taller, and I thought he was going to come in at maybe 8 to 12 pounds heavier. He was listed at Bama anywhere between 290 and 295, um, not on the team site, but by but by other outlets, riders. Um, I'd heard that in the middle of the season he was at his 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 best as far as um, being in shape and holding 293, 295. Yep. So I thought he was going to come in and, and, and weigh like a three-tech and, and be a good size of a three-tech and somebody that could play a five technique. But he came in as, you know, he's you know, 6'3", and he weighed 286, and so he's built like – a very, you know, an undersized three technique in a 43 scheme, a defensive tackle, or a, a very big um, base 43 defensive end. Mm. But he, he didn't test that well. And so we know through force players um, and really just a smidge bit through common sense that athleticism and power wins on the edge. And he doesn't really display that. And, and players that of his position haven't transitioned so well to the NFL as, as a rule. Um, I think his best bet is to put on a few more pounds because I think he could hold it and play that three, four t- uh, three or four technique, which would be a defensive tackle in the NFL. Yep. Um, and and if you do that, where do you value a guy like that? That's what I'm asking myself. Where do you value a guy who's got a really high floor, who is who who works hard, who's gotten better every year at Alabama, but does have some lingering issues and also doesn't measure up and test like an elite player. And so I, it, where do you draft a very good player? And for me, a very good player goes early second round, which I think I have him 34th on my board, yep. 33, 34. So if he went late round one to a playoff team for because he's the last piece of their line, I totally get that. But in a vacuum, I think he's an early second round pick, and I like him. I just don't, uh, I don't, think, I don't think he's worth taking that risk. If you're the Jaguars or the Bears or, or the Jets, you can't – afford to take a guy in my opinion with this sort of risk and so i would just wait wait around and take him at the top of the second so that's where i'm at on him uh in terms of malik mcdowell uh you know he didn't he tested better than jonathan allen but he didn't test as good as i thought he would especially in in the three cone but still looking at his mock draftable web now uh still some impressive you know height and and speed and hand size and and broad jump and things like that uh, you have him as your seventh player overall. Uh, what do you like out of Malik McDowell? And do you have any concerns about uh, you know the 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 I don't know what I would call them rumors that he kind of gave up and yeah. quit on the season uh, for Michigan State? Yeah, yeah. Some guys I've you know respect have said that their, their interactions with him haven't been great, and and I can't speak to that. And what I've tried to do. Um, and, and try, what I tried to make known, and it's not—I don't think it's taking the easy way out—is within reason. I don't really let character uh, affect my grade because I'm an independent scout, and ultimately, I'm not going to be fired by these players' actions. So yep. I try to just say, "Hey, look, I'm looking at their own field." But if I was running a team, I would clearly—I would clearly look at a guy like him and mix in some other guys in a, in a different light. Um, but with Malik, yeah, I think he's a, a three tech or a five tech. You know, he showed up at two ninety five. I was very surprised he was that heavy on tape. He did not look that big. I was thinking more of the 270, 275. Uh, he's 6'6", six, six, so he's I think he's even an inch and a half bigger than I expected. I thought he was going to be a low 6'5", 275 type of guy, and that's 
you know, that's the wheelhouse for a defensive end. Um, he's going to have to play a little bit bigger than that at the next level. You know, he's built a little bit like a DeForest Buckner almost. And so I think you can play him at three tech, um, anywhere between three and five technique, and especially in like a three, four that likes to do a one gap scheme with their defensive ends. Um, Cause he can, he can rush the quarterback, but maybe he's just not so equipped to bend the edge on a consistent basis. And so when, if you scheme him properly, um, I think his ceiling is, you know, is near as high as anybody in this class. Um, I, I get the hesitancy with him, but uh, just looking at him on the tape, I'm thinking, all right, coach this guy up, put him in the right system, know we have a plan for him before we make the phone call to him and tell him we're picking him, and we could get a heck of a player. So that's where I'm at on him. Yeah, if you can get him with a competitive team as well, uh, you know, that kind of eases those concerns because a lot of those rumors yeah. are around that he sort of quits. So if you get him in Cleveland or Jacksonville where the season's over by week six, it could be a little bit murky. Uh, yeah. Another player yep. in your rankings that's uh, you know quite polarizing and has varied on sort of big board to big board is Obi Melafonwu. I think I've said that yeah. correctly. You've got him that's as your, your third safety and twentieth overall. I got to be careful with these names with my accent. I'm I cop a lot of heat. No, it's, uh, it's great, man. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> uh, you have him as your third overall safety and twentieth on your board. Where I've seen him, you know, yep. at sixties and fifties in in other boards. Uh, why are you, I guess, because you are, got him at 20, I guess you're quote-unquote high on him compared to others. Yeah, again, he's a guy that he, he blew up the senior bowl. He was physically imposing, and, and then on the field he had a, a phenomenal week, and I think that earned him a lot of clout seeing him. And he played at UConn, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to see him, like Hassan Reddick as well, go up against some of the top peers at his uh, in the class, I, I thought did, that did him a lot of favors. And then he gets to the combine and, and really uh, it blows that up as well. Um, I, I like Obi a lot. I think, you know, I don't even know if he was necessarily used properly at, at UConn. They, yeah, they play a lot of isn't, cover. isn't really endorsing. There's a lot of yeah, yeah. stuff in there that there makes is me a, question it. It is, a, it is, it is somewhat of a projection. Um, yep. I think in a, in a, in a, cover, uh, a cover three system where, you know, he's the strong safety, um, I like him. I, I like him in a cover two setting as well, where he has help, um, you know, to the, to the other half of the field. He's definitely not somebody that, that I'm going to play single high, but you know, in today's NFL, uh, with there being so many of these hybrid position type guys, you know, I, I love his metrics. I don't know how, and I think everybody likes that. Yep. And I think he's one of those guys where like Tyus Bowser from Houston. And again, the aforementioned Hassan Reddick, where you have to have a little bit of vision to who he will become. And so year one might be a little sticky. I think Carl Joseph for Oakland, he had a nice year. He didn't have as good of a year as Keanu Neal. But year one can be a little sticky for these safeties. Uh, it, it can be sticky for any position, but safety is such a hard position to play. So what I did in my grading this year was do projections, and so and I added trait grades. And so year one, Obi may be somebody you have to bring along and, sh- along and show him how to play his position in the NFL a little bit. I just think by year three, his instincts are good. The physical traits, my goodness, are, are excellent. His range is phenomenal. So um, I think by year three, you could have one of the better strong stages in the NFL. But again, you know, if you like a guy like Marcus Williams um, or Buda Baker or Eddie Jackson from Alabama, what have you, in a vacuum more than him, totally get it because those guys are, are pretty high on my board as well. Yeah, I'll skip ahead because you mentioned Eddie Jackson, and uh, I was I like him. I, I enjoyed watching him on tape, uh, and I was – yeah, happy to see you rank him ahead of someone like Jabril Peppers. Uh, you've got Peppers at 60 
on your rankings, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Peppers is one of the most polarizing prospects uh, on Twitter, and he made it more interesting with the tweet yesterday. Uh, I yep. actually think Peppers is a running back, but I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think it would be hard for him to play running back because um, historically it actually makes it. I've heard you hear the term a lot, especially last year with Derrick Henry. He got a lot of carries and people were worried that he was being worn down in Alabama. But it's actually historically you want a guy that's the Bell Calvin offense. And I think it would be harder for Peppers to make the transition given how little they let him play at Michigan. Um, I look at him a little bit, and, and I'm, I know it's coincidental, but Denard Robinson from Michigan. Yep. You know, he was a decent little transition player from quarterback to running back, but he was never really extremely impactful. I think the learning curve to get him down on an every-down basis, especially in pass protection, I think the upside that you may gain on a couple of plays a game, I think long-term just developing him, it would be harder. I get the fixation with the running back. And two years ago, if they'd have stuck him there, yeah, I think he, you could be looking at one of the more special backs in his class, but I just worry uh, about the development that it would take. I have him at 60 because I don't I don't hate him as much as some of the more cynical people on Twitter saying he's just a terrible football player, but I'm, I'm definitely not on board with him in the first round and, and early second round because there is, there is a lot to develop there. Uh, but one thing I do kind of support him with is the fact that he was a team player and a heck of a football player. Some guys are just good football players. You can play him on special teams early and get something out of him. So it justifies it at least early to play him, you know, returning kicks and, and, and on special teams. And then you teach him uh, how to be a safety. Um, is that it's easier said than done. And that's why I've, I've actually got a third round pit, third round grade on him. Um, but I think there's enough there to, 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 to get excited about, especially like if if Todd Bowles is going to be safe for at least one more season after this, you know, they cut a lot of players this offseason. If he knows going into this year that, okay, they're giving me one more year, yep. Jabril Peppers in like round two and three would be excellent for Bowles because of the type of system he likes to run. So, again, success is so situational, and putting him in the right system to succeed is very important. With Eddie, I'll be quick, but yep. Eddie was being talked about with Malik Hooker and Jamal Adams until he got injured. And it really wasn't even like a serious injury. He broke his leg, uh, but it wasn't like it was an Achilles or an ACL or anything like that. He just unfortunately got hurt at the end of the year, so we haven't got to see testing numbers. I feel like if he had finished the year and, and he got to test, um, the conversation about, about him would be a lot different. He's probably not going to go in the round one. But I think early round two is a great pick for somebody like Eddie Lacy, who is a proven center fielder he you know he does he may not have the range that Malik Hooker does but his instincts are off the charts he finds the football well he's not afraid to, to get physical um and so yeah I think he's probably the forgotten man in this class yeah I uh, I really think he's going to be a value pick on on day two I, I think he will yep. go day two uh uh Jordan Willis is another guy that uh is you know he was sort of hovering around that top 100 sort of player uh, pre-combine, and then he just blew up the combine. He he was outstanding. You look at his mock draftable web, and it just it's it's like the Atlantic Ocean, or what doesn't it cover? <laughs> um, yeah, you have him in firmly inside your, uh, uh, you know, you have him sorry top of your second round as the number six edge in the class overall. Uh, how comfortable are you with him as a you know as a top fifty pick? Given his, you know, flaws on tape, and and there's there's some really wow plays from Jordan Willis, but then there's also four or five plays in a row where you're just like, ugh. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I totally get it. I didn't love his tape either, to be honest with you. I know he's a productive player at Texas – or it's not Texas, at, at Kansas State, excuse me. And um, I, I know that he was a guy that some people liked coming into the draft process. But he really had a nice senior bowl. And and I'll be, I'll be completely honest. He was one of the more players I was cynical about coming into the process. And so at the senior bowl – um, it wasn't until really the day of the game where I started to be like, all right, I need to stop with the preconceived notions and appreciate the fact he's had a nice week and he's having an excellent game. He then goes to the combine, and like you said, his 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 mock draftable web um, is an ocean. Two years ago, I was a huge fan of Daniil Hunter, not for what he was, but what I thought he could be. Now, he's not the same player as Jordan Willis, but he plays the same position. He plays edge. Edge is not a position that traditionally you have to have extraordinary produ- production or be extraordinarily complete as a player coming out. If you have the fundamental strength and athleticism, the game can come to you uh, more so than other positions. And and I look at Willis similarly to I looked at Hunter. Now, Hunter was better as a, in the run game um, but than Willis is now. But Willis is an extraordinary worker on the field. Now that causes him to overrun the play and get and get run down by tackles and, and run out by tackles. Excuse me, uh, more often than you would like. He doesn't have incredible secondary moves yet. But someone is built like him with the measurables that he has, plus the fact that he did have good production, although the tape was spotty. This is truly a me banking on size, strength, and athleticism at an important position like edge winning out. If it was another position. Uh, if it was a position, and I'm just going to be more arbitrary with this, but like defensive tackle or linebacker, where I don't value athleticism as much as I value it at edge, I may be a bit more cynical still on Willis. But um, I think late round one, early round two for him um, is really good value because I think by year three, when he cleans up these technique issues that he has, um, he's going to be he's going to be a really nice edge player in the NFL. Not too dissimilar, maybe from D, D Ford from Auburn. You know, he backed up Holly in, in Houston for a couple of years and had a breakout year last year after yep. going in the first round. So sometimes development isn't linear, so it may take a bit longer for Willis, but I think his, I think eventually his ceiling is really enticing. It, it is, and, and speaking of ceiling, uh, Christian McCaffrey has a, a very high one, and you have him as your number one overall running back ahead of Fournette. You also have Mixon as your number two. Uh, what is it about McCaffrey, you know, that you have him over... Uh, over those guys and you know the concerns about him covering a workload are, are just ridiculous aren't they absolutely they're ridiculous uh for two straight years at, at stanford he was probably the most worked player in the country uh if not one of the most worked players in the country and he was arguably the best running back over a two-year period in college football um he he can he's electric in the return game uh, punt returns especially and so his stereotype is that he's more of a scat back or or maybe uh, he gets compared to like you know, Darren Sproles which there's nothing wrong with that career that'd be a heck of a career yep. um, I think he's a legit RB1 uh, feature running back um, if a team knows how to use him right I saw somebody today on Twitter and I wished I could give them credit for it. they call him LaShawn McCoy and I don't think that's a terrible comparison I think he's Brian Westbrook the former uh, Philadelphia Eagles running back. He was too small too, but all he did was 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 create yards and score touchdowns. Um, McCaffrey's vision is special, and special gets used a lot more than it should. But his vision is truly special. His patience and his ability to know how fast he is and how to utilize that quickness. Um, I said he has sort of an omniscience on the field. He knows where he's at ex- exactly, 
all the time. Mm. And that's a rare gift. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is one of the only few players in the NFL with that special of a presence on the football field. And so I trust I trust McCaffrey to day one contribute in the in the in return game. He's excellent. He's stellar out of the backfield. But I think this is a guy you can run between the tackles. And if, if I'm looking at, at the Philadelphia Eagles at 14, I know they need cornerbacks, but this cornerback class has got like 20 guys in it. Um, I would look at McCaffrey heavy, especially for the system that they run, to give Carson Wentz that, that weapon and, and to put a true RB1 with him, an explosive dynamic player. Um, McCaffrey's going to play a lot uh, for a long time in the NFL, and, and I hope that post-combine and is, and is more of the hype with him is starting to build that he's, that he's appreciated because I think he's going to be one of the better players in this class three years from now. Yeah, and I, I do like that the fit with the Eagles, given he has been compared to to former Eagles running backs. I feel like that fit makes a lot of sense, and I think Woot will be happy to hear uh, that you endorse McCaffrey to his beloved Philadelphia Eagles. I, I think that fit would absolutely be uh, exciting because you've already got Sproles there as well, and now you add in Alshon Jeffrey and, and Torrey Smith, and things are starting to look a little bit better for that Eagles offense after after a down few years. Uh, another running back you have uh, in your top 60 is Deontay Foreman. I know Dane Brugler has him as RB14, and a few other people have him outside their top 10 running backs. Why is he so, I guess, misunderstood, or uh, you know, why are opinions so different on him? Yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit odd to me as well because in so many ways he's Leonard Fournette but probably better laterally. Uh, and I just think if you like Fournette, that's fine. I like Fournette too. Why wouldn't you like Foreman? He's two or he's a year and a half younger, almost two years younger. Uh, outstanding production at Texas A&M. I, the, same, the same worries with him are the same with Fournette. And Fournette, I will say, is probably more f- further along, which is why I have Fournette ahead of Foreman. You know, there is questions about him pass blocking. There is questions about him catching out of the backfield. Um, but... When you think about somebody as productive and as quick and as powerful as him running downfield, um, you know, if you miss out on Fournette, and and I don't think Fournette should be prioritized because of his position and then the necessity to play him in such a specific scheme, I would wait on Foreman and just draft him in the second or third round. I think by year three, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a better running back than than Leonard Fournette. I, he's the guy that I'm that I'm a huge fan of, and so again. The teams like uh, the Redskins, the Jaguars, um, who's been connected to the running back? Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati, yes. Thank you. That was the team I was trying to think of. Those three teams, uh, do they need to go running back there early? They, they've got other holes. You know, some of these teams are closer to competing than others. Cincinnati needs to get a lot better quick, and they've already got Jeremy Hill. But if they want to take a guy like Foreman on day two, and I just think you get a, I think you get a cheaper version of Leonard Fournette. And, and I like Fournette, but I'm not super high on him. And um, and I think Foreman, I think Foreman's critics are just, I think it's a little bit too cynical, just to be honest with you. You don't have to love him, but uh, if you like Fournette a lot, you should at least like Foreman uh, a good bit. I think. I reading about it, I haven't watched Foreman because uh, I just don't see him fitting with with my Colts. But uh, from what I read, a lot of the criticism is his inability to to break more tackles given his size and strength. Is that, yeah, is that so a that fair is criticism? A- yeah, it, it is. It is a fair criticism. Um, it, Graham Barfield, um, 
I don't know his Twitter off the top of my head, but he's he's got a stat called uh, yards created. Yeah. Uh, and Fournette, um, Fournette wasn't as good as you would think either. I'm, I know I'm bringing this back to Fournette, but what I'm getting at is um, Foreman doesn't maybe know how good uh, he is yet. He maybe doesn't have those. It's really I would call it secondary vision. So initially, hit the hole. Get get the get the yards, but his problem is breaking that first set or second set of tackles, uh, and a lot of times that takes secondary vision to not run into those tackles, and then also have the the knowledge of running back to know the skill to break those tackles. Keep your feet driving, uh, lower your shoulder, just nuances of the position, and maybe he hasn't developed those yet, which is why I don't think he should be taken before Fournette, uh, and which is why I think he should probably go to a team that doesn't need him right away. Um, but given his age and given his production and given how well he tested, especially how nimble he tested for his size, you know, I think a third-year projection on him, you can get really excited about it. All right, the last the last polarizing player I want to ask you about is a guy I like to call Burrito Charlton, but he's also known as Taco <laughs> Charlton. Uh, yep. He's a guy that I always look for in mocks because the variance is crazy, uh, yep. more so than most of the other players that we've talked about in this uh, podcast, but what is it about Taco Charlton that has others, you know, thinking top 10 and others thinking 40? Is it more that people aren't projecting the future or people are just going straight off the tape because the tape isn't the best, but people, a lot of people that are hiring him, it is merely more from a projection standpoint. Yeah. I think Taco is one of those things where, and I'm not, I'm not saying people that like him are, are simple, but you look at him, he's an imposing-looking player, uh, and he had a nice year at Michigan. And he's someone that in the season, you know, I would watch him in spurts or, or for a full game and live view, and you, you, you're impressed with him because he does produce. You know, he had a, he had a nice, nice season for Michigan. But just because you're a, you know, a big guy with production doesn't mean you have traits, especially athletic traits. I talked about that earlier with, with Jordan Willis. You know, he didn't test extremely well. No, I think his size and his – technical proficiency I do, I do think he has um he has a really good spin move for his size he knows how to find sacks and find disruption so i think he's gonna be a nice complimentary edge in the nfl and he's you know he's a pretty big guy he's lingering around 280 so you might could do some stuff with him situationally moving him around a bit um you know i have him in my 50s which is you know a late second round um grade and that's where you know late second round pick if, he, if this is where he went and i think that's probably more proper um, for what he is and for what he will become. I think he's one of those guys that will always be a nice football player. Where do you draft nice football players? Not in the first round, especially not 9 or 11 overall, which is where I see him mostly going to Cincinnati or New Orleans. So I like Taco. Uh, not, I don't know if he's a total burrito, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't love him. I wouldn't love him in the first round. It's weird that I'm calling him burrito because I, I love burritos. Um, I but, love burritos too. Everybody but, loves burritos. Yeah, so I'm not sure whether I should maybe revert back to calling him Taco. But he, he for me is like this year's Kevin Dodd. Uh, I feel like we saw That's him. That's such a great comparison. Yeah, I felt like we saw him mocked in top tens all the time, and then it didn't end up that way. And then like you go on his mock draftable, and 92.6% Kevin Dodd. So I. I don't know. I feel like that's the perfect comparison. I feel like he is this year's Kevin Dodd. That is like, and Kevin Dodd was that guy. He had a phenomenal last year at Clemson. His his championship game that they lost was outstanding. He looks the part, true 6'5", 275. So you see this guy with great production and great size, and you just assume that he's going to be a heck of a football player. And that is why athletic testing and studying historical trends is so important because 
he's really he was never really going to be the guy that some people wanted him to be. And I thought a second round grade was much better value for Kevin Dodd. It would set up his eventual return on investment to be a lot more rewarding than going in the top fifteen. Same with Taco. I think you're getting a nice complimentary edge who'll probably warrant his second round pick. But never, never as high as, as he's being mocked by some of the more national analysts. Yeah, I uh, that baffles me. Uh, by the way, that Twitter handle for Graham Barfield that you mentioned before is just at Graham Barfield. Uh, oh, simple yeah. enough. Yeah, very, yeah, very simple. Uh, all right, speed round time before we let you go because I know you've got to record a, a pile on you podcast, and I uh, yeah. I encourage everyone to check that out and uh, listen to that and check out Shane's work on Inside the Pylon, but. Uh, who's your favorite day two player? Uh, you know, maybe not quite at the top, but maybe someone later in on day two that you really like. Chris Godwin, wide receiver from Penn State. He's my wide receiver four. He's not going to be a top five wide receiver taken. I think he's probably in the six, seven, eight range of wide receivers taken, which could still mean he goes in the second round. But yep. um, I love his tape. He tested well enough. Um, we just spoke to Matt Harmon about him uh, yet yeah, uh, two nights ago. Loves him. Yeah. Harmon's a huge fan, and and, and and Godwin, because I'm one of, and I'm, gosh, I, I hate saying this, but because I'm one of the few that talks about him and like, likes him to the extent that I do, I wondered if I was over-liking him. And then I see somebody like Harmon come out and, and like him a lot too, and it kind of you know it backs up like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm not wanting to like him more than I actually do. So so Chris Godwin's my, my guy. Yep. Uh, favorite day three player? Oh, wow, that's a really good one. Um, off the top of my head, Shaq Griffin cornerback from central florida i tweeted about him today he has outstanding measurables uh like elite cornerback measurables and if you miss on him or if you miss on somebody like a marlon humphrey or a Lattimore or um or fabian moreau or a, a longer guy in the, in the first round or two he's a guy in 75 to 100 that i would like a lot yep uh who's the player taking in the in the first round that's most likely to uh not bust but just not give you great return on investment? Honestly, it'd probably be Charles Harris or Tack McKinley. Oh I think I, I don't love this edge class that's being talked about. Like the guys that are being talked about by the national media, like the Tack McKinleys and the and the Charles Harrises and sort of the sort of the Derek Barnett's a little bit. I don't love them, and I'm afraid one of those guys will be a bust. And Charles Harris, uh, at, at seeing his testing numbers really hurt. Um, yep. it was disgraceful how bad he <laughs> he was. Like I think his best yep. percentile was like 54, and, and that was like 40-yard dash time. Everything else was just abysmal. So that that uh, definitely makes a little bit of sense. Uh, before we let you go, and I really thank you for joining the Woot and Why show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, even my dog likes you. She's been barking all episode, so apologies to the listeners, but you know what? I don't care. Um, it's a southern it's a southern accent. It, it yeah. happens a lot. <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> uh please plug uh your brand and, and where can people find your work? Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Alexander One Great. You can find all of my work exclusively at Inside the Pylon. Um give me a follow. Uh follow our podcast Pylon U. We're all draft and college football all the time. And, um, and and check out my, my big boards and my rankings. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's almost 300 players that I've charted. So um, any support for that is great. And uh, and it's been it's been awesome being on with you. Let me ask you one question yep. before I get out of here. Big Colts fan, picking at 15, Chris Ballard era. It's going to get better. Who's, who's your dream pick, which is sort of unrealistic, and who's your realistic pick? Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of uh... – 
I'm really it feels weird to have optimism about the draft. First off, um, I, I really trust Chris Ballard. I really like uh, every every time he talks. Um, he he was on Peter King last week, and I thought he was fascinating. He's a wonderful uh, GM and, and and evaluator. So um, I'm firmly in sort of you know hoping Ruben Foster can slide to us. Um, if we can't land him, I'm happy to settle for Hassan Redick. Uh, that yep. sounds like such a Weird thing because he's a he's a great player. I'm also sort of team uh, corner as well. Round one, if if maybe concerns about Lattimore's hamstring could maybe force a slide, but that's being really overly optimistic. I'm pretty much um, pro like any defensive player you know at that height, except for maybe Derek Barnett. And I, I'm not sold on Gary and Conley that high. I don't I don't understand it. I, we saw him mocked at three somewhere yesterday. I found that bizarre. So I'm kind of just, yeah, and not offensive tackle. I think Garrett Bowles has been linked to us, and he's a terrific player, and, and Jack Conklin was mocked to us last year, and I kept knocking that, and he ended up being a, a wonderful player. But I just don't feel like it's a need. I thought our offensive line played a lot better down the stretch than people actually realize. Forrest Lamp's also linked to us as well. Again, a great yep. player, but I just think we need to go, uh, you know, corner or edge, one of those combos, you know, in round one or round two. I agree. I agree. I would love a song. I think I mocked Reddick there last uh, last mock I put out. Um, I'm a huge Reddick fan. He was number nine on my big board. So I do. I, I agree. I hope they go. I hope they go Froster Reddick or, or take advantage of, of a cornerback. So I'm rooting for you guys because I'm a huge Chris Ballard fan, and I think Andrew Luck is as special a talent as as there is, and I don't want his prime wasted. So yeah, we had big to sit through of, uh, Peyton Manning getting wasted for for a few seasons yeah. with some below average teams. I just don't want to see it again. So yeah, so thanks. Yeah, so I, I ask you a question on your own podcast, but man, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, anytime you want to have me back, just give me a shout, man. Yeah, awesome. And I uh, I really enjoyed speaking with you, and we'll definitely uh, definitely tee this up again because I think our audience is going to enjoy it. And uh, Shane Alexander, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night. And again, follow this guy on Twitter at Alexander One the Great, and uh, not the Great, but Alexander One Great. He is great. Uh, and uh, that's it for the show. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Wooten Wire Show. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at JYNFL. You can listen to the show uh, on Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and you can give us a like uh, on Facebook, the Wooten Wire Show. Thanks, guys.